Welcome to episode 612 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Welcome back, Richard. Two weeks in a row, sort of like three weeks in a row, sort of like four weeks. In a- it's weird. Yeah, we're, we're doing pretty well, but don't jinx it, right? Right. That's true. I shouldn't do that. Uh, Despite the fact that you're traveling, which did lead us to not doing the show live, we do still have a show for you this week. I was a little bit concerned a lot of times the week after CES, not a whole lot of stuff to chat about, but we've got a good lineup here for everybody this week. One thing we don't have for you, though, is some listener feedback. So if you'd like to send us some for a future episode, the email address is entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. So as usual, let's jump into some video news. And we're going to start with a story related to one of the the things that I found a little bit, one of the most interesting stories from the previous CES. And that is way back in January of 2022, at CES 2022, Tableau announced an ATSC 3.0 quad tuner DVR. And I'm pretty sure I was more excited about this than you were, Richard, because I'm just in general more excited about ATSC 3.0 than I think you are. And uh, for for those of you who don't know or don't remember what ATSC 3.0 is, it is the new version of over-the-air TV the, the new standard for that uh, service that supports a whole lot of new features, but the most important one being 4K video over the air. And it's slowly rolling out across the US. Still not in my neck of the woods yet, but close. And eight, so, so Tableau, known for having a a long history of creating over-the-air DVRs, announced uh, their ATSC 3.0 version of it last year. It's got four tuners in it. It'll connect directly to a TV, but it did require uh, you to bring a hard drive, as most of their devices do. They were very optimistic, and they said they were expecting to ship it in the spring of 2022 for $299. Yeah, and... I mean, come on. In CES time, that means sometime that year. Exactly. Exactly. I don't think either of us were all that optimistic about seeing it in the spring. And it didn't come in the spring. It got delayed. And then it got delayed again in December. And that time they said, yeah, we're not really sure at this point when it's going to happen. And the main cause of their delays has been one of the other unfortunate aspects to the ATSC 3.0 standard, and that is that it does support DRM. And implementing DRM on this device has been challenging from both a legal and technological perspective. So it does require lots of certification. It requires that the DRM certificates be installed when the device launches. So it's not like they could have just shipped these things and done a firmware update to add DRM support. That won't work. So still delayed. And now they've officially stopped accepting 
pre-orders. And anybody who did pre-order one has actually been refunded their pre-order. This is not great news. Like They're not saying that this device is dead, but to get to the point where they're refunding orders seems like they really don't know when this is going to be ready to go. Yeah, I mean, I think it's partly that, and I also think it's just partly the optics. If you spent $300 on this thing, and a year later, you still don't have it, I mean... It's not like this was a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> exactly. So I think they're doing the right thing here. Now, you know, I believe that if it is, in fact, legally and technically possible for them to do this, that they still intend to put this out. But I wouldn't want them sitting on that money after all this time if I had no idea when I was going to get this. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree that this is the right thing to do for them. You know, the other possibility here, if if we really want to go down a deep, dark path, the other thing that happened over the last year is massive amounts of inflation. What if part of the reason they're refunding people is because it will come out soon, but it will cost more money? Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, that's an <laughs> interesting theory. I hadn't considered that. I guess it's possible. Yeah, it seems, I, I, I suppose I could go 50-50 on that. Like the, the cost of some of these components should in theory have come down in price over the last year, but with inflation, who knows? So we'll see. I, I wish Tableau all the best. I, I wish the entire ATSC 3.0 project all the best. Like it is, I, I thought that 2022 would be the year of ATSC 3.0. And I was wrong. The The rollouts didn't happen very quickly in terms of uh, getting it out there to broadcasters and things like that. And the devices haven't really shown up en masse. TV tuners, like TVs have started to include them sometimes, but not all of them. So we're still waiting. And I didn't see a whole lot of news about ATSC 3.0 coming out of CES this year either. Yep. So it might be another year before we're really seeing the year of ATSC 3.0. I mean, I hate to say it, but this is starting to feel a whole lot like Cable Card 2. Oh, yikes. I didn't mean to jinx it or anything. I'm just saying it's been years that we've been talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. Well... We will wait and see. I will continue to be optimistic, but maybe not so much for this year. Mm. All right. Well, uh, another quick news update, and this one is from MGM Plus. And if that doesn't quite sound familiar, that's because it's a brand new service. And it is sort of. It's a rebranded service. Yeah. is, Is the more correct definition here. It's Epics. It's the the Epics service has been rebranded to MGM Plus. Amazon owns this whole thing now. It's launched this week. The content, I think, sounds pretty good. James Bond movies, Top Gun Maverick, Smile, The Lost City, A Quiet Place, lots of other original series that are on this uh, service. Although, while I, I admit to not being the biggest TV watcher in the world, when I was looking through the announcements of this, 
I didn't recognize the names of any of these series, which makes me wonder how popular they actually are. But the service is available now. It's available on basically everything. iOS, Android devices, Android TV, Roku, Apple TV, and then, of course, Amazon Fire devices, since the service is owned by Amazon. One cool thing with it is that they've already integrated it with Google TV's built-in search. So if you search for Top Gun Maverick, it will show up in the search results as being able to, to, to watch it on this app. This app is not free. It is $5.99 a month. And I don't believe there's any ad-supported version. It's just $5.99 if you want MGM+. Plus. Thank you, no. You love James Bond. Why are you thank you knowing this? This is <laughs> this is just bonkers to me. Epics has not been a popular service. In the old cable days, where still, as far as I'm aware, 50% of TV households are, Epics is usually given away for free with something else because nobody wants just Epics. So for them to think that putting a snazzy new engoldened brand on <laughs> this service and touting their new MGM catalog is going to make people pay another $6 for yet another studio's own streaming service? No, just absolutely no. I don't understand this. And unless they're going to make them exclusives to this service, the James Bond movies are available in other places. And I can't imagine this is the only place that Top Gun Maverick is going to show up. So it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I guess I don't know how much of this content is being made I exclusively available here because MGM does have quite the catalog of content. So if they were to make it exclusive, I, I think this does make this an even more interesting offering. And and the price isn't crazy. Like the, the price is actually really good. It's super competitive to all of the other services. Yeah, it's just yet another. And this is not the path that I want to go down for streaming stuff where every studio, every house has their own <laughs> service. Well, you may not want it, but that's the world we're living in now, right? Uh, I mean, it it that's just about all of them now that have done this. And I I do think that while uh, of course subscription fatigue is a thing and and it's called out a lot when it comes to these streaming services, I think people just need to start putting a little bit more effort into this and just just because you want some of this doesn't mean that you should just subscribe to it indefinitely and never think about it again. Like, subscribe to MGM Plus for the next couple of months and unsubscribe from Apple TV Plus. And then it doesn't cost you any money because they cost the same amount. And Ted Lasso was announced as that season is finally coming this spring. My My wife filled me in on that. But I reminded her, spring means any time between April 1st and the end of, end of June. <laughs> right, right. So you, you've probably got a couple of months that you could cancel that Apple TV Plus 
subscription and switched to MGM Plus for a couple of months. Watched Top Gun, watched some James Bond movies, watched the Quiet Place movies, and lots of other great catalog content. I, I think that's just the approach people are going to have to start taking to these things unless they don't care about spending another $100 a month on a bunch of streaming services. I don't like it. <laughs> well, clearly the way you feel about it isn't having much of an impact on what these services are deciding to do. Nope, but I can't imagine I'm alone. So I'm curious no. to see how consumers take to this. And yeah, no. Yeah, if, if you're saying that this this was a service that on cable TV regularly got bundled in for super cheap or like a free add-on to some other thing, then I would kind of expect some pretty nice deals popping up pretty regularly. Yeah, maybe. Like su- subscribe to a year for half off or something like that and things like that. And then then maybe this becomes a little bit more, uh, I'm trying not to use the word compelling, but it's the only word that's coming to mind. <laughs> Palatable? that is the more appropriate word in this situation (laughs) well you don't want to pay six bucks a month for mgm plus but i'm pretty sure you're an hbo max subscriber and that's also increasing now Uh, hbo max is raising its prices by the usual one dollar a month it's going up now to 15.99 a month but if you're watching commercials, your price actually isn't going up. The the ad supported tier stays put at $9.99 a month. Normally, I, I would just, you know, toss out that little bit of news and we would move on. But I do find it very interesting that all of the news about HBO Max over the last month has been story after story after story about the content that they're removing from the service westworld isn't there there's a whole bunch of classic cartoons that aren't there anymore they've removed sesame street for crying out loud the only thing that they've added and it's a big one is the last of us so they're giving you less content and charging you more for it (laughs) yeah now how much would you pay (laughs) it is Very strange that this comes on the heels of the word that they were taking content away. The other odd timing here is that this precedes the expected bundling of Max with the Discovery content. Right. So does that mean that they're going to be raising the price again? Or is it possible? that this is it. Is it possible that they're just setting the stage to get a little bit more income out of, or revenue out of everybody on this and then fold in the discovery content without an additional price increase? Now, that would be just like free money as far as I'm concerned because I have no problem paying a dollar more for HBO Max. I watch stuff on Max all the time. And if they bundled in Discovery and bumped it to 20 bucks, I would probably pay that. I won't pay for Discovery separately. Again, not paying for just your network, not happening. But (laughs) if they bundle it in 
and they make it appealing as a bundled price, that'll do. So I think we need to find out how they end up handling that aggregation of those two catalogs of content going forward. Right. Because if they do increase the price once every everything with that discovery plus merger of of the content is complete, it's not like you're going to have any options. Like they've already said it will be one service. So if they do raise it four or five bucks a month, that's just what it is, regardless of whether or not you want that discovery plus content. Well, that's true unless they offer some sort of slimmed down service. I don't know. I, you know, it, I, I will pay the increased price for the thing. And I think a lot of people will. <laughs> I mean, I think, I, I think that HBO is one of those content creators, not just provider, but creator that offers such a variety of content and such good original programming that people are willing to pay a premium price for it. Yeah, this really does seem to be the service that is rising to the top. Like when when I'm talking with friends and coworkers and stuff about what they're watching, so often people are talking about shows that are only on HBO Max. So it it doesn't surprise me that they feel like they can increase prices and that people are probably going to continue to stick with it because there is a lot of really good stuff, new stuff and old stuff. For sure. You you said at the head of the show that we didn't have any feedback. That's true officially. Although our friend John did reach out to me to let me know that if I wanted to watch HGTV in the background, I could do it if I had discovery plus, but yeah, I'm not, Paying separately for Discovery Plus. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, but you'll get it soon enough, fortunately. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, one more video story that actually also ties us into audio afterward, and that is that Apple TV and Apple Music are now available as new standalone apps in Windows. Specifically Windows 11, not Windows 10, only Windows 11. So I can't even try these out because I don't have a Windows 11 computer. They apparently look a whole lot like the Mac versions of these apps, which is a good thing. Um, And they function mostly like those apps. What I don't know, and and Richard, I'm curious about this uh, from your perspective, because I'm sure you use these apps on your Macs. The Apple TV app on Mac, does it do all of the extra, uh, you know, search and, and content stuff with all of the other services as it does on an Apple TV device? It like, can, but it won't get you to the other content. In other words, if you can get, if you can find something on Hulu then, oh, that's a good question. I don't know if it'll find stuff on Hulu, but let's say, for example, that there's a movie on HBO and you search for the movie and it may show you the movie, but it's going to offer for you to buy or rent it from Apple. And that's the only thing that you can do 
in that app there. It's not going to try to mm-hmm. find it on the web and launch that or anything. So it's much more limited in terms of being, for example, a video hub, the way that the Apple TV app is when it's running on an Apple TV device. Okay. That's exactly what I was wondering and and, and what I figured. So I'm going to guess that it's pretty much the same on Windows from from that regard. So one thing that, that's really important to point out about these preview apps, and that that's a separate one, that these are previews, these are not final versions, is if you do install them and use them, it will make it so that you can no longer use the iTunes app on your Windows PC. And maybe that's fine. Like if you were only using iTunes for listening to music or, or things like that, cool. But if you were using it for audiobooks or podcasts, you don't have an option right now if you start using these apps. So you will need to uninstall these apps if you need to use iTunes again. If you're using iTunes just so that you could sync iPads and and maybe still iPods, uh, then there is a separate app that they've also released for that. I think it's called Apple Devices. So that is still an option. But again, if you use any of these, iTunes stops working. Which Many may celebrate, but I dislike how complicated that is. Yeah. Yeah. I have a hard time coming up with a technical reason why that's the case. (laughs) Right. Right. Unless the way that they're making this work uses some new sort of DRM that they didn't use in iTunes. So you wouldn't be able to view these things in iTunes if you if it's using the DRM on Apple TV. I don't know. I don't get it. It's I won't use it anyway. But hey. <laughs> right. Because your only Windows machine is the one that you're podcasting from and you don't watch a whole lot of TV from that desk. Right. And you know, maybe if they had announced an Apple TV app for Media Center, that'd be a different thing, but <laughs> That would definitely be news. Apple rolling out an app for another app that's been dead for 12 years, <laughs> something a, like that. A good while. I was just going to joke that we should make that our title, but that would be entirely misleading. Yeah. We're, Apple we're not TV really for the, Media Center. Yeah. We're not really into the clickbait headlines here at the DMZ, <laughs> in case you haven't noticed that. All right. Well, that, that'll be interesting to see how that evolves. I, I'm always curious about actual usage of apps like this on desktop operate, even laptop operating systems. And and maybe that's just because if I'm going to sit down and watch something, I'm either going to do it on my TV or on my iPad, like a tablet. Like I, I don't want to sit on the couch with a laptop in front of me to watch TV or something like that. Right, but so, remember that Windows devices, many Windows devices, are these kind of hybrid things that can either be set up as a tent format or they can be detached and you can use it as a screen. So they're, they're trying to serve two markets with one device the same way that Microsoft is. And right. I, this is a gamble that Apple's taking. It's an interesting move for them to put out preview apps. I mean, that is so un-Apple, right? They 
put something out when it's done unless you're in a beta program. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. They like never, ever do this. And and you're you're totally right, too, about all of the different form factors of Windows devices. So I'm sure these will get used. And I do occasionally watch video content on my desktop computer. I'll pull up a, a hockey game and watch that. And generally, watching in a browser sucks compared to the experience that you get out of the the actual native application. So I'm sure this will be better than what we've had to do on Windows devices previously for watching Ted Lasso, which was watching it in a browser. So cool. Yeah, it's got to be better than that. For sure. All right, let's move on to audio news, which is also in the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So very exciting. Apple released new computers. Oh, wait, no, that's not it. Apple really put out a bunch of stuff this week. So one of the things that I don't think anyone was expecting was the HomePod 2. And if you're thinking to yourself that, oh, okay, so they came out with a a revised version of the HomePod Mini. No, 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 this is the second generation of the previously discontinued full-size <laughs> HomePod. That's and, a weird play. Like, yeah. That device has been dead for over a year. Yeah. And now we're getting a sequel to it? Yeah. It's, it's very strange. It's not surprising. I think when the HomePod came out, it was overpriced. It was overpowered. People didn't know what to do with it. Siri wasn't that capable and couldn't play anything but music from your Apple library in terms of music content and services. So it was kind of a piece of hardware before the software and services were there to properly support it. And now that many people who use HomePod minis around their home have a taste for what it's like to have HomePods all over, folks are thinking, you know, it'd be nice if they had something that sounded a little bit better. And these things sound a heck of a lot better. These things have amazing sound. The microphones in them are staggeringly good. And I don't, I, well, actually, I think I have told this story on this show before, but my experience using one of these was a demonstration in Best Buy which if you've been in a Best Buy, you know that they're loud, where this was sitting out on the Apple counter and the guy said, oh, here, let's try it. And he walked with me like 15 feet away from the table in (laughs) this loud Best Buy and said, hey, agent. And (laughs) the actual word, he didn't say, hey, agent, but play something. and." It worked like it heard him through all the noise and everything else. It was, it was, it blew my mind. So I'm excited to see these coming out. Now they are slightly smaller than last time. They're not quite as enormous. They don't have quite all of the speakers and mics that they had in them before, but I expect that this is going to be pretty good. It's, it's oddly priced. It's going to be $299, which is a little 
more, I believe, if I remember correctly, than they were charging when they discontinued the first model. But I think it's less, the same price. Is it? Okay. Yeah, because they originally launched at three fifty, right? And then was, they eventually <laughs> dropped it to three hundred. It was definitely less than what it started at, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so they did learn something from that experience. Now, this can be paired with your Apple TV. That's one of the things that's cool about this. So you could create an entire sound system with this, and it can do reflective audio to create a simulated surround experience for you if you have two of these. So that's something to consider. The other thing that it can do it is really impressive with paired with your Apple TV device. And I don't know if it has to be the most recent version of the Apple TV device. These speakers through audio return channel from your TV to your Apple TV can actually be speakers for your TV, not just the Apple TV. So you're watching content from some other input on your television or from the television services itself. The audio through audio return channel goes through the Apple TV and gets broadcast out through these speakers paired with the Apple TV. Amazing. That is really cool. Yeah. And, and just so that everybody is super clear what Richard is saying, let's say you've got an Apple TV, a couple of these speakers, and an Xbox. When you're playing your Xbox, you will hear the Xbox sound through these speakers. Yeah. That's impressive. It is very impressive. Now, that's a lot of wireless going on. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, I hope this is pretty rock solid because that's asking a lot. But it if this works as advertised, it should be really cool. It's it also has thread in it like the newer devices and has matter support. They're adding temperature sensing capabilities and humidity sensing capabilities to the home pods. And by home pods, I don't just mean these. You these will have that, but your old home pod minis around your home are getting a firmware update kind of as we speak that will also allow them to be temperature and humidity sensors. Surprise! They had <laughs> random sensors in them we didn't even know about. So That's weird. That's kind of cool. And these HomePods are also going to be able to listen for smoke and carbon monoxide detectors going off, so they can also help announce that or alert you about that if you're not home, which is a nice feature that many other home assistant devices are starting to offer. So it's nice to see that too. Like I said, it's going to be $299 and it's expected to ship. And well, it'll be available. And oftentimes you can get it on the same day shipped on February 3rd. So are you getting one? Oh, I saw one, one. How many of these are you buying, Richard? I saw one one. <laughs> it's not if, it's how many. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, yeah, it's so tempting. It's so tempting. I have to figure out where. Like, if I can come up with a perfect use case for it, then maybe. But I don't have that use case yet. Right. Because you also, so you don't need it where your Apple TV is because right. you've got a really nice soundbar there. Right. And you've got Sonos devices in other rooms. Right. That have voice assistants integrated. Right. 
And they cost less money than this. I know. Maybe my workshop needs one. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I need one in the workshop. That's a nice speaker for a workshop. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. I'll let you know. Have to let us know how it sounds and how it works out for you. All right. That's cool. All right. One very quick gaming story for you all this week, and that is just an update. You know, if if we were the type of podcast that played ridiculous sound effects during the show, this is when we would play taps because Google Stadia is officially dead. And that was Google's attempt at making a service for streaming video games through the internet. And it worked fairly well using a very cool controller that they had. And and that controller would had had Wi-Fi in it and would talk directly to the game streaming server. So that would decrease input lag, which was great. So now you're thinking, I'm a, I, I'm a former Stadia user. What am I going to do with this stupid controller? I don't just want to throw it away because I don't want to contribute to e-waste. Well, you've been able to use it wired. You know, Grab yourself a USB-C cable and you can plug it into a computer and use it as a wired controller, which is a good option. Do that. But there's a better option that's now available, and that is that you can download a firmware update to this controller that will enable it to work as a Bluetooth controller, which will allow you to use it with your phones, your tablets, NVIDIA Shield. It would work with the Nintendo Switch, like all sorts of devices that you could use this with as a Bluetooth controller. And there's really no reason not to do this. If you've got a Stadia controller, just go and do this and start using it with other devices. I don't quite know what to say about this. I mean, it strikes me as uncharacteristically nice. Of Everything about this has been uncharacteristically <laughs> nice about from Google. Yeah. Like, because if you have one of these, they also refunded you the purchase price of it. And they like they refunded all sorts of aspects of the Stadia service for anybody who bought into it. And lots of the like all of the Ubisoft games and stuff like that. They just said, cool, we'll just move them over to the, the Ubisoft platform. You don't lose any of that. Like all of this has been, I maybe wouldn't say generous, but... Uh, but de- yeah, uncharacteristically nice is the perfect way to describe this, Richard. But it, it also seems like something they absolutely had to do because mm-hmm. people would have been so mad if they're like, what? It, it, so so this, this controller really is a piece of trash now. I have no use for this anymore. Now <laughs> now there, there's, there's much more use to this controller. And it, it's a nice looking controller. Yeah. Yeah. No, very cool. All right. Well, that is it for our news this week. So let's jump into what's going on in our entertainment centers. Well, while I'm talking about the cool things that the new Apple TV can do, one of the things that uh, it can't seem to do in my home is work properly with the remote or at least maintain a connection with it. So kind of an important thing. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the reasons we're not doing a live show this week is because I'm down at our rental property while some work is getting done. So to avoid unnecessary complications while I'm not home, I swapped out my new Apple TV and its wonky remote with the 
previous version of the Apple TV that we had, which was still 4K and still looks great. It just didn't do, I think it didn't do maybe Dolby video or so. I don't know. But it and the new, and it, sorry, it and its remote work fine. So <laughs> I don't have to worry about the remote not working while I'm away, just like it died last time that I was away. Didn't want that happening again. As far as stuff that I have been watching or listening to or whatever else, we've been keeping up with Ghosts and National Treasure, Edge of History. Still really, really enjoying that show. I caught up on the current season of Abbott Elementary, watched the New Amsterdam finale last night, actually, the, the night that it aired, and I was a little bit annoyed to learn that because I'm not in the broadcast area of my locals that had that show on, I couldn't watch it live on Google TV or, or on, on, sorry, YouTube TV. I could record it and then watch it immediately after. I don't know what that was about. That's weird. And it was a specific message. Like, this is a blackout use case that they have clearly established. It wasn't like just something gone wrong. They had messaging about it and everything, but it just seemed stupid. I didn't understand why that was. But anyway, so watch that. It was fine. And then the last scene just totally got me. Like, I didn't see it coming. I didn't know what was going on and it was a perfect way to wrap it up so i'm really happy with how that ended also finished season three of jack ryan josh have you i did it was so good so good that finale was so good like movie caliber story and uh tension So, yes, and I'm not going to give any spoilers here, of course, but um, that finale was essentially the plot of at least one or two other Tom Clancy books. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 totally, totally. And, (laughs) yeah, and other movies. Right. So, (laughs) yes, I agree. I agree completely. It was still good. I didn't care how similar it was. It was still great, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So yes, that was agreed. cool. I, having finished two series now, decided to get back to The Expanse and finish that. So I started season six. I watched the first episode, and I am totally lost. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know what happened in the three months since I saw the finale for See, it wasn't even three months. It might have been a month and a half since I saw a finale for season five, and I know very well what happened there. And then the first season episode, or sorry, the first episode of season six, and I couldn't follow anything. So <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on there. I'll watch another one before I decide if I need to go back and rewatch and maybe read some plot summaries to better understand what the heck is going on because I didn't get it. A friend of mine introduced me to 
the series Miracle Worker. This is starring Daniel Radcliffe. And the concept is that every season is the same cast. It's a, it's kind of a, well, it is a comedy. It's a no laugh track comedy. And they're different people in completely different times and settings each season. But it's the same cast. That's weird. It's very weird. I liked it. I tasted it, if you will, based on my friend's recommendation with the first episode of the second season, because it's it just starts fresh. It's it's a whole new story with different characters and everything. And liked it enough that I was curious to see, okay, well, what was the first episode of the first season like when they were just getting it started? And I enjoyed that too. So I will probably end up watching this. And Edward watched the second season one and thought it was fun. So we may end up picking this one up. I don't know. It's a very weird thing. And the first, I I don't even want to get into describing it. Look it up. Miracle Worker with Daniel Radcliffe. (laughs) I don't even know what to tell you it's on. I have no idea. We searched for it. (laughs) And then finally, in the audiobook space, I completed Space 1969, which was a whole lot of fun and then had just kind of like a fizzled out ending. So I was a little bit disappointed by that, but I enjoyed it. And it was only like six or seven hours, so not that big a deal. And then I picked up something that is much longer. It's going to be 15 hours, and I am now 10% of the way through that. I started listening to Spare, which is Prince Harry's new autobiography. It is unnervingly intimate. It is as if you're sitting down with your friend, Harry, and he's telling you about all the stuff that's happened in his life. He narrates it himself and in his completely trained and proper diction and language, he's an incredible narrator. I am kind of shocked how drawn into it I am. And I know people have different feelings about what he's done and just the monarchy in general. If that bothers you, then this is not for you. I was generally curious, and I avoided all of the interviews. I was genuinely curious to just hear his perspective on the last 15 years or so of his life. And it was, I'm finding it fascinating. Hmm. That That is really cool that, that he's narrating it because, yeah, you would expect him to be an amazing narrator. And when it's about him, it, yeah, I, I can picture it going exactly how you're describing. And that's different and unique and, and yeah. sounds potentially really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I recommend it for anyone that's at all interested. Hmm. All right, that's what's going on in my entertainment center. How about you, Josh? So on the gaming, well, actually, let's go shows first. So I already mentioned that uh, I did also finish Jack Ryan season three. And the funny thing is, as I was looking, I I was like, hey, let's just look around and see what else uh, is in the Amazon Prime app because I'm already here. I thought The Expanse. 
I should give the expanse another try. So you're starting season six. I will be starting season one from the very beginning <laughs> because I remember basically nothing from when yeah. I watched it when it first came out. And I only watched two or three episodes of it when it first launched. But I'm I'm excited to give it another try, especially with all of the good things that so many people have had to say about it over the last few years. Oh yeah. It's been so good. It's been so good. And I did the same thing you did. I watched the first couple of episodes and it just didn't grab me. And it is confusing at start because you have these different factions and you don't know who's with whom and what's necessarily going on and what the different objectives are. So I think you're going to really like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Um, On the gaming side, uh, Maybe a little, yeah, I, I did play a little bit of NHL, did play some more Vampire Survivors. I finally opened up another level. That game is so much fun. Loving that. Also, when uh, we we had another instance where of the, the normal foursome of us that would play Call of Duty or other four-player games together, one of them wasn't able to play this week. So we went back to trying out that Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 DMZ mode because it's three players only. Last time I talked about it on the show, I said, I think I really like it, but these first few challenges that you have to do are really hard and we're not very good. We made it past them, and now there's tons of challenges that are open to us. And so you can you can be doing so many different things. And uh, when when you just like read the description, like it sounds dumb, like uh extract with seven gas cans like that's kind of dumb or get a vehicle and refuel and fix it at five different gas stations or you know like these are all dumb things that you would be doing in a first person shooter but they're actually like the whole experience the way that it's built together the fact that it's you know the quality of call of duty and that the map is mostly populated with bots, but there are some real people out there that are all way better than me. It it does just make it really fun. I'm really enjoying it. I obviously don't wish to regularly have only two of my friends to play with instead of the usual three, but I kind of want to get back to this mode because I was really enjoying it that night. <laughs> so uh, that's cool. The other thing that I do have new going on is my, (laughs) this is kind of ridiculous, but the analog stick, the left analog stick on my Xbox controller um, that came with my Xbox Series X, I got it at launch. So it's now over two years old is, is wearing down. There's like a, a nub, a rim around the inside of the thumbstick and I've worn it down. It's just a smooth surface now, basically. And so I regularly find my thumb slipping off the thumbstick in the middle of action. And that's obviously not great. So obviously that means it's time to finally buy a new controller. And I decided to try something different. You know, I, I really like the idea of the Elite controller. I don't like the idea of paying 180 bucks for it, though, or however much that <laughs> thing costs. Like, that still is a hard pill to swallow. And there's been a lot of other third-party controllers that have looked really interesting. And so I decided to buy one. And it's from a company that I don't know the correct way of pronouncing the name. I pronounce it 8BitDo. It's 8B-I-T-D-O. That sounds like do to me, but I don't know. And it's the 8BitDo Ultimate Wired Controller for Xbox. So it is wired. 
It, it has a 10-foot USB cable that is not detachable, which kind of stinks, but I guess it's fine. But this has adjustable trigger sensitivity so that you can uh, like act, make it so that it it feels like it, it or the Xbox thinks that you fully depressed the trigger, even though you've only pressed it a little bit, that sort of thing. Uh, adjustable sensitivity on the thumbsticks. It has two extra buttons on the back that fall uh, right below where your middle fingers land while you're holding it. Every single button, including the ones on the back, can be mapped to do whatever you want. Uh, so, for example, I mapped the left button that's on the back to the equivalent of pushing in the left thumbstick, which is how most games, including Call of Duty, um, uh, work for you to run instead of walk. and Eventually, that starts to hurt my thumb holding the analog stick in. So now I can just hold a button with my middle finger, and that's kind of cool. And all of this modification, all of these adjustable things are done using an app on your phone. Like the phone talks to the controller through Bluetooth, and, and then you can save multiple different profiles. Uh, I think it, it'll store three profiles on the controller plus just a default setting. And there's a button on the controller for switching between the profiles. It has, of course, the three and a half millimeter headphone jack for if you're using a wired headset. It has a physical switch on it for muting your microphone if you need to do that. And if you hold the little modifier button that, uh, and press the D-pad buttons, up and down, adjust the game volume that's coming through your headset, and left and right on the D-pad using that modifier button controls chat audio. So you're getting all of the extra uh, in enhancements that you would get from some of the previous uh, devices that came with the Xbox One that would you, you would plug into your controller and then plug your headset into that to get all of those buttons, and it's all just built in. And all of this in a controller that has an MSRP of $45. So I thought this is a no-brainer. Even more of a no-brainer when I saw one that was gently used for $25. Like, yeah, I will take a risk for $25 on this controller. I like it. It feels pretty good. It doesn't feel exactly like an Xbox controller, but it's darn close. It feels overall pretty good. I will say getting a controller like this and trying to use some of the advanced buttons takes some getting used to. Um, you know, in Call of Duty, using that back button for run, and then also you know, using my my left finger for the aim down sights, I was very often, you know, getting my, my fingers were getting confused and I would press the wrong button because I'm not used to using my middle fingers with a game controller. So it'll take some getting used to, but it's cool and, and I'm liking it. The 10 foot cable isn't really long enough though i sit fairly far back now that i have a 65 inch tv i don't need to be that close so i might need to see if usb extension cables will work with this and what maximum distance it'll support but i am liking the controller especially for 25 bucks i'm amazed by that price i mean that's just hard to believe considering everything that it can do. Help me understand why wouldn't it work with a USB extension? I mean, it's USB. It's a it has to comply with USB, right? 
Yeah, but aren't there limits to USB distances? Well, sure, but it's not like you're taking it upstairs or anything. <laughs> I just don't know what those what those distances are. It's I mean, I would only be looking for like a five foot extension cable, and I gotta imagine that's going to be fine. But yeah, I don't know for it, sure. I don't know what the limits are. You're looking at 10 feet. So what you really have probably is a three meter cable. And I can't imagine that you couldn't connect uh, like another two meters to that. That's just right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think it would work out fine, but I don't know, but it's probably easier to just spend like four dollars on that extension cable and try it than to try and find reviews to see if other people have been able to make it work (laughs) right right exactly yeah just do it that's fine yeah Yeah. but there is another one that was announced at ces that i kind of missed until after ordering this uh from hyperx that also is very competitively priced It's, it's another wired controller for a 35 dollar msrp that i want to dig a little bit more into and see if that one might be an even better solution for me. So we'll see. Might have more news on that in a coming episode. Uh, So that is it for not just gaming stuff, but everything that's been going on in my entertainment center. So let's get out of here. But before we do so, let me tell you uh, all of the different ways you can get a hold of us. I'm still on Twitter at Josh Pollard. And so is... (laughs) The the website at DigiMediaZone. Richard is now, well, he's not exclusively on Mastodon, but he's not really on Twitter. Search for him, Richard Gunther. I'm over on Mastodon. Also, I think we're still the only Richard Gunthers and Josh Pollards on Mastodon. I believe so. So shouldn't be too hard to find us. Uh, but if you are struggling to find us, all of this information is linked in our show notes over at www.the digitalmediazone.com. The other thing that's over there, Richard's other podcast, it's called Home On. Richard, what's going on with Home On? Well, nothing in the short term since I'm traveling right now and I'm not going to be recording anything here, but I have a couple things lined up that I'm really excited about. So the the first is uh, a guy named Dustin who hosts the My Home Kit Home podcast and YouTube channel. And he is a home automation guy with an interesting twist. He is legally blind. And so we are going to talk about accessibility in the smart home. I also reached out to the new COO of Insteon Technologies. They just announced new Insteon products. And these are essentially a rebranding of some of the Nokia products that Smart Labs had worked on with Nokia and announced nearly two years ago now. So I'm very excited that they have new product coming out and he has agreed to come on the show. And I don't know when that's going to be, but I'm looking forward to talking with him about those as well. Nice. Look forward to seeing those. Those were, those were some really nice looking devices. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Cool. Very cool. 
All right. Well, uh, when we do the show live, it's normally Tuesdays or Wednesday nights around 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow us on social media to find out for sure when that's going to happen. Although sometimes I lie because I don't check with Richard before I tweet. Sorry if if I got your hopes up about a live show tonight. Hopefully we will be back next week. Uh, Although, as I like to do to Richard, it's going to have to be Wednesday for me next week. Yeah, and it's not going to include me next week because next week <laughs> I will be packing to leave on Tuesday and driving home on Wednesday. So I am not going to be up to record when I get back. I can't think of a better, more relaxing thing to do after a long drive home than to record a podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly what I want to do. Hi, honey. I'm going to be in the recording booth. Right, right. Been gone a week. Didn't, didn't actually want to see you. I'd rather spend time on Twitch with Josh. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would go over really well. So well. All right. Well, I might still be around for the live show next Wednesday around 8.30 p.m. Eastern, but that's going to do it for episode 612. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.